I'm also eternal and everlasting Father. We are thankful this evening. Thankful for the grace that you have granted each and every one of us to gather together this evening to study a portion of your word. We realize that the human mind is incapable of understanding anything that is spiritual apart from the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. So it is a request that God the Holy Spirit will speak to us and enable us to hear precisely what you have for us this evening. This is our request in Christ's name. Amen. Exodus chapter 14 verses 21 and 22. Exodus chapter 14 verses 21 and 22. He reads, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Now the message of this section of Exodus chapter 14 verses 21 through 22 that we stated in our last study is that the Lord is powerful and so can remove any obstacle in your way that will keep you from fulfilling His plan for you. We indicated that the message is to be expanded using three propositions. The first proposition that we have considered in detail is that God may, depending on what the problem is use a human agent's action before acting on your behalf and that is derived from the first clause of Exodus chapter 14 verse 21 that reads then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea now the second proposition is that God will demonstrate his power over nature in solving your problem. Now this proposition is derived from the second clause of verse 21 that reads, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. Now we have begun our consideration of this clause in that we observe an important implication of the phrase all that night which the Lord walked all night to divide the sea, probably to leave an unforgettable impression on the Israelites regarding his power. Now we promise to continue with the clause in this study, and that is what we will do this evening. Now the main act of the laws following Moses' obedience is given in the next in the sentence of the NIV of Exodus 14:21 that reads again the Lord drove back the sea the Lord drove the sea back now the Lord here of course refers to the God of Israel that appeared to Moses and who has been guiding Israel in their travels he is described as the angel of the Lord that has been traveling in front of Israel in verse 19 of Exodus chapter 14. There, this Lord is described in verse 19. It reads, Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. Now, so he has been described simply with the word Lord. The personal name of God, of Israel, as we read also in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. He reads, By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way 
and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or night. Now it is this garden of Israel, whose presence with his people was manifested in the pillar of cloud that acted on behalf of his people. Now the action of the Lord is given in the expression, drove back, drove back, of the NIV. That expression, drove back, is translated from a Hebrew verb that may mean to go, to come, to walk. Now in the Hebrew form, used in our passage, it may mean to lead, as it is used by Moses in his farewell address or speech to Israel, reminding them of God's action on their behalf, as we read in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 15 reads, Here is Moses recapping the experience of Israel as he addresses them for the last time, so to say. So he led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land, with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. Now the word also may mean to cause to flow, to cause to flow of water. As that is the way the word is used in Ezekiel chapter 32 verse uh, verse 14. Ezekiel Ezekiel chapter 32 verse 14. Ezekiel chapter 32 verse 14 reads, Then I will let her waters settle and make her streams flow like oil, declares the sovereign Lord. Here is to cause her to flow or make her water streams flow. Now in our passage of Exodus chapter 14 verse 21, the Hebrew word means to cause to go back. Hence, it has a sense of to drive by force. Now the sense of driving by force implied in the Hebrew word translated drove back uh, in Exodus 14 uh, verse 21 reminds us of God demonstrating his power over creation. Now the waters in the sea will normally flow in a given direction. But in the narrative that we are considering the water is flowing backwards. Now that is contrary to the operation of water in the sea. But that is what happened because God acted in a way that is contrary to what we would expect. So we can say God performed a miracle, although to him he simply demonstrated his power in a way that is normal to him or his nature. We say miracle because from our perspective, that is something impossible. But to God, that is normal operation. So, uh, we are the ones that talk about miracle, but to God, he just doing what he does best, so to say, because that's his nature. Now, God can and does perform miraculous acts directly, Without using an object. For example, in creation, he simply spoke his word and the universe came into existence, as implied by the psalmist's praise of God's word in Psalm 33, verse 6. Psalm 33, verse 6. Psalm 33, verse 6. Psalm 
Psalm 33 verse 6 reads, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. In other words, God spoke. Everything came into existence. However, the Lord can also perform uh, miracles using what he has already created as actually in the creation of vegetation during creation uh, week as reported in Genesis chapter 1 verses 11 and 12. Genesis and hold on to Genesis we'll get to it again anyway Genesis chapter 1 verse 11 reads then God said let the land produce vegetation seed bearing plants and the trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it according to their various kinds and it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. So it could be, it should really be clear that God could perform miracles directly, or He could use what He has already created in performing miracles. Now in the narrative of dividing of the sea, God chose to use what he has already created to perform a miracle that demonstrates his power. So we read in the passage we are studying, Steve put something in Genesis because I'm coming back to it. In the passage we are studying, we read in verse 21, it said, The Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind. Now the phrase with a strong east wind conveys the manner God acted to bring the miracle of the dividing of the Red Sea. Now the word strong is translated from uh, a Hebrew adjective that may mean fierce as the word is used in Jacob's prophetic words to Simeon and Levi as recorded for us in Genesis 49, verse 7. Genesis Genesis 49, verse 7. It is, Trust thee their anger, so fears, that's a Hebrew word. So fears, the Hebrew word as, as. And their fury, so cruel. I will scatter them in Jacob and disperse them in Israel. Now the Hebrew word may mean mighty, mighty. As it is used to describe God's work of dividing the Red Sea in the praise of of God recorded by uh, Nehemiah, so to say in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 11. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 11. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 11 reads, you divided the sea before them, so that they passed through it on dry ground. But you hauled their pursuers into the depths, like a stone into mighty waters. Again, here the Hebrew word is translated mighty. Now, the, in our passage of Exodus 14, verse 21, the word means strong in the sense of having strength or power greater than the average or expected. Thus, it is used to describe the 
phrase east wind. Now the word east here is really translated from a Hebrew word that may be used for direction of a compass. Hence means east or eastward as it is used in Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 17. Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 17 Jeremiah chapter 18 verse 17 It reads Like a wind from the east I will scatter them from their enemies I will show them my back and not my face in the day of their disaster. Now, of course, from the east here, the word, uh, Hebrew word again is translated east, and God says, because Israel has turned the, uh, their back upon me by going into idolatry when they call, I will turn my back on them. Now, the meaning, this meaning of east, though, is used predominantly in the book of Ezekiel, where it is used about 52 times with this meaning in connection, of course, with the new temple described in the book of Ezekiel, although the translators of the NIV use the word south twice in translating the Hebrew word as, for example, in Ezekiel chapter 40, verse 44. Ezekiel chapter 40 verse 44 Ezekiel chapter 40 verse 44 It is outside the inner gate within the inner court were two rooms, one at the side of the north gate and facing south, and another at the side of the south gate facing north. See that phrase, at the side of the south gate and facing north, is more literally, on the side of the east gate and facing the north. But here the NIV, they use the word south. Now the word may mean, is wind, that is a wind that comes, of course, from an easterly direction, often with an associative meaning of heat and scorching wind, as it is used in Joseph's interpretation of Pharaoh's dream, recorded in Genesis chapter 41, verse 27. Genesis chapter 41 verse 27 It reads The seven lean ugly cows that came up after afterward are seven years and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. Here is really translated east wind. These are seven years of famine. Now in our passage of Exodus 14 verse 21, the word is used with the meaning east as a direction corresponding to eastward cardinal uh, compass point. Since we have a different Hebrew word for wind in our passage. Now that aside, we have stated then that the phrase with a strong east wind conveys the manner God acted to bring about the miracle of dividing the Red Sea. Now the east wind is that scorching wind that blows from the east across the desert. It is used figuratively 
to describe a person whose speech lacks substance as it is used to describe what is not expected from a wise person in Job chapter 15 verse 2. Job chapter 15 verse 2. Job chapter 15 verse 2 Well, we're going to see a word being used to describe something that you will not expect to come out of a wife uh, uh, a person who is not wise or as we see something that you you know, for a wise person there are things you expect for somebody who is not there are things you also expect here we read Job 15 verse 2 we say would a wise man answer with empty notions or fill his belly with hot east wind? Now the phrase here, hot east wind, is equivalent to the idiom we use in English when we say that a person is blowing hot air. That the person is blowing hot air, meaning that the person's talk lacks substance. So that's how it is here. Uh, east wind, I mean, uh, hot east wind, meaning lack of substance. Now, this figurative usage of the east wind, notwithstanding, it is primarily used in the literal sense in the Old Testament scripture. Hence, the east wind refers to the scorching wind that blows from, e- uh, from the east across the desert. Now, although it is described as wind that blows from the east across the desert, but it is sent by God from heaven as the psalm is described in Psalm 78 verse 26. Psalm 78 I put your marker in Psalm or there I will go to uh, two passages I'll come right back to that Psalm Psalm 78 verse 26 He said He let loose the east wind from the heaven and led forth the south wind by his power. So here we are told, God lets it, even though it blows across the desert, but it comes from heaven. Now the effect of the east wind though, can be quite devastating. Thus, it is a wind that can cause the withering of vegetation, as in the dream of, Joseph, uh, of Pharaoh that uh, Joseph interpreted in Genesis chapter 41, Verse 23. Genesis 41, verse 23 reads After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin, and scorched by the east wind. Now it is the wind that God uses in certain occasions. To do what he wants. Everything, the wind is in his control. That's what we say. He can use anything in nature to do what he wants. So he used it in bringing the plague of locusts. In Egypt, as we have already studied in Exodus chapter 10 verse 13. Exodus chapter 10 verse 13. He reads, So Moses stretched out his staff over Egypt, and the Lord made an east wind, that's what we're looking at, east wind, blow across the land all that day and all that night. By morning, the wind had brought the locusts. Now the Wind is such a 
there is such strong that it can do a lot of damage. So it is what can destroy ships in the ocean. As we gather from Psalm 48 verse 7. Psalm 48 verse 7. Psalm 48, verse 7, reads, You destroy them like sheep of tashes, scattered or shattered by an east wind. So an east wind is that strong that when it hits a ship, it shatters it. Now so it is the east wind then that the Lord used, to bring great discomfort to Jonah after he had sent worms to eat the vine he used to provide shade for Jonah to ease his discomfort from the weather as we read in Jonah chapter 4 verse 8 now Jonah was angry with God for not destroying Nineveh. Because he's gone. Uh, of course, we studied that in detail. He didn't want to go to deliver God's message there. And when he did, of course, when he, before he started running, his rationale was, God, I know who you are. You are very compassionate. You are very merciful. So if I go there now and declare this thing to these people, they repent, you're going to leave them. And he didn't want that. He, he, he wants God to destroy them. But since God refused to do that, and he went, and after giving the message, the people repented, and he got angry. So God, uh, in one way, uh, set up the background to tell him he has no reason to be angry. So God provided him uh, something to protect him from the sun, and they later on sent a, uh, a worm, uh, some worms to eat the vine, and he was exposed again to the sun. And that's what we have here in verse 8 of Jonah chapter 4. So when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. So, we have seen, or we have noted, that the east wind can cause great destruction. But it is only in our passage of Exodus chapter 14, verse 21, in the entire Old Testament scripture, that the that east wind is described with the adjective strong only in this passage. It's used several times, but only in our passage that it is used with the word strong, so that we have the phrase with a strong east wind. So then one wonders the reason for such description of the east wind that is already known as to being quite destructive in its effect. So why even describe them with the, that adjective strong when it's already known what it does? Well, there are two possible explanations. It is probably to focus on the power of God who sends it from heaven. In effect, the Holy Spirit wants us to focus on the power of God who can cause wind to be so strong as to accomplish his purpose of dividing the sea in the way described in our passage. So we can see his power, what he can do, that he can send that wind. And just by going, blowing through, it will divide the sea. That may be one reason 
for that uh, adjective strong. Another possible reason is that our passage is the only place in the Old Testament scripture that the east wind is used for an incredibly unique activity of God in which he divides the sea. That's the only place. Thus, there is focus on God's power to control the wind to accomplish his purpose. Now, this second reason for the use of the adjective strong to describe his wind in our passage is in keeping with the second proposition that we have stated, which is that God will demonstrate his power over nature in solving your problem. We are seeing him demonstrate this great power just to divide the sea using wind. Nothing is wind. So, now Israel's problem was the obstacle of the Red Sea. That is the obstacle to their travels. So God demonstrated his power over the wind so as to solve Israel's problem. Remember, they were being chased from behind and in front of them was an obstacle of the Red Sea. So we have been saying that yes, God will demonstrate his power over nature to, this, uh, to solve he, whatever obstacle that you have that he wants to solve. So this brings us though to the third proposition necessary to expand on the message of our passage. Remember what the message that we have been expanding is, is the Lord is powerful and so can remove any obstacle in your way that will keep you from fulfilling his plan for you. God has a plan and nothing will keep you from fulfilling that plan. Now, in other words, when we fail to do certain things, because it's not in his plan. If it's in his plan, you will fulfill it. And he will do whatever it takes to ensure that his plan comes to fruition. Because there's no way his plan will not be fulfilled. That's why the message he, the Lord is powerful. And so can remove any obstacle on your way that will keep you from fulfilling his plan for you. Now the third proposition that we need to consider is this. God will act towards your problem in a way to make clear to you the way forward out of your problem. What we're saying is, yes, if you have a problem, God will walk in such a way, he will act in such a way that he will make clear to you the way forward out of your problem. Now that doesn't mean it's going to be that simple. But if you wait patiently, pray, and trust him, he has ways of making clear to you what path to go through. Our problem is usually we are so impatient and so we want to hurry, whatever it is. But what we are saying is, if you wait patiently, trust in him, pray. He's going to show you how you get out of whatever the problem is. Now, it doesn't come overnight. He may do it overnight if he chooses to. But usually, sometimes, it will be that you would go through a process before you come to it. He may use several events to open your eyes or to point you to what you need to do. But just you can be sure that the top proposition that God will act towards your problem in a way to make clear to you the way forward out of your problem. Now this proposition is evident in the first result of God demonstrating his power by using the east wind to accomplish his purpose. Now the first result is the appearance of dry ground as given in the clause of Exodus chapter 14 verse 21 that we are studying. Look at that first result. It says, and turn 
on it into dry land, or more literally the Greek, I mean the Hebrew reads, and he made the sea become dry ground. That's how the Hebrew reads. And made and he made the sea become dry ground. Now the clause of Exodus fourteen twenty one in the NIV and turned it into dry land, or literally, and he made the sea become dry ground, is one that gives the result of God using the east wind to drive the Red Sea backwards. Now this is first because the conjunction and of the NIV is really translated from a Hebrew uh, particle, that no doubt is often translated and in our English versions. However, the Hebrew particle has several other usages. In our passage, there, there are three possible interpretations of the Hebrew particle. It could be used to indicate another action of God that is independent of the action of driving the sea backwards and so the Hebrew particle may be translated and and that is where it's reflected in majority of our English version as if it is another action of God. Now it could also be used in the sense of up to the up to that time up to that time with the meaning until you can really say until to show though, or to indicate the stopping of the driving of the Red Sea backwards as reflected in the contemporary English version. Now it may be also used to introduce the result of God's action of using strong east wind to drive through the Red Sea and so should be translated something like so that, so that. Now, it is this third uh, interpretation that is probably how the Holy Spirit intends for us to read a particle, since that will focus on the result of God's action of driving the sea backwards. Now, of over 25 English versions that I consulted, there is there's none that reflected this interpretation I've given you directly. To me, the closest to me is that reflected in the interpretation of this uh, contemporary English version or the international standard version. Now that to me, they are the ones that come closest to reflecting the interpretation I've given. In that they, of course, they not directly translate our, our Hebrew particle. Instead, they began the clause with the word turning, turning, a gerund, turning. That may imply a recognition of result of what preceded. So when they say turning, that, they, they use it in such a way that it can reflect the result. Based on what happened, this is what's going on. So that's why they use the word turning. So anyway, we contend that the first result then of God acting using east, the strong east wind to drive back the sea is the ground of the Red Sea became visible or that the dry ground was visible so we can say that the ground appeared. Now, it all, you know, we can't really say all that God did, because although we think He just dried it and the people went through, it is possible that He raised up the bed, this, uh, the bed of the sea. Because it depends on how deep the place is. So He could have done that. But the key thing is the land appeared. That's what we see here. Anyway, we contend that the result of God driving the sea back is the appearance 
of dry ground since the clause and turned it into dry land could be misunderstood as if the sea turned or transformed into dry land. You see the word turned of the NIV is translated from a, a Hebrew word that may mean to place, to place. As in the placement of a baby, uh, in this case baby Moses, in the basket by the mother for setting him at the age of the Nile River, as we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 3. Genesis chapter, I mean, sorry, not Genesis, Exodus chapter, sorry, Exodus chapter 2, verse 3. Exodus chapter 2, verse 3. Exodus chapter 2, verse 3 reads, But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. Now the word may mean simply to make a thing or a person, as it is then used to describe the promise God made regarding Ishmael in Genesis chapter 21 verse 18. Genesis chapter 21 verse 18. And put here, mark in Genesis after one passage, I come right back to Genesis. Genesis 21 verse 18 reads, Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Now this is, because we know that the Arabs are descendants of Ishmael. And that is why they in a sense have a hold on the, on the wall. Regardless of what they have a hold. One reason, the oil. Who placed it there and who put them there? Just so we remember this promise here. Anyway, the word may mean to turn, the Hebrew word may mean to turn, as in midnight uh, uh, soldiers turning against each other in the battlefield, as recorded in Judges chapter 7, verse 22. Judges chapter 7 verse 22 Judges chapter 7 verse 22 reads When the 300 trumpets sounded the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords the army fled to Beth Shatia toward Sherara, uh, as far as the border of Ebel um, Mehola near Tabat. Now, in our passage, the Hebrew word has a sense of to make or to cause to be. Thus, God made dry ground appear after He drove the sea back again. Like I said. It, could, it all depends. We don't know how deep that part of the sea is. If it's so deep, then you know uh, it would take a lot more miracle for Israel not to be going down a hill in order to get to where they have to cross. So either way, all we know, he raised whichever way that happened. That's the miracle. He brought it, the land to the level where they can cross without going to go deep. Because if you if you uh, go through uh, a deep part of an ocean, it's several hundred, uh, hundreds of feet down. So he got this something. So we read this and we only think in terms, oh yeah, he divided the Red Sea. 
It's much more than that. That's what I'm saying. Even though it's not written that, that way, that he may have done something. All that we know is here the land appears. We insist though that the clause and turn it into dry land does not mean that God transformed water into dry land. But that what happened is that God moved the water so as to expose the seabed. But he did it in such a way that when the bottom of the sea was exposed, it was dry without any moisture in it. You see, the expression dry land is translated from a Hebrew word that refers to land as opposed to a body of water with a central focus on not having moisture in it. As we may, we may gather from the seven of the eight occurrences of the Hebrew word used here in the Old Testament scripture. Of course, excluding this passage of Exodus 14.21 that we're studying. Now the Hebrew word is used to describe the location of the living things that died during the flood judgment as we read in Genesis chapter 7 verse 22. Genesis chapter 7 verse 22. Genesis chapter 7 verse 22 reads, Everything on dry land that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Here that means dry land, no moisture. Now twice the Hebrew word is used in connection with the dividing of Jordan River prior to the Israelite crossing it. As we read in Joshua chapter 3 verse 17. Joshua, hold on to Joshua once you get it. Joshua chapter 3, verse 17. Joshua chapter 3, verse 17 reads, The priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of Jordan, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. When they say dry ground, the emphasis is no moisture. Now to contrast between uh, dry land and water, our Hebrew word is used to describe what happened after Israel crossed Jordan on that dry land, still in, in Joshua, look at chapter 4, verse 18. Joshua chapter 4 verse 18. It reads, Joshua chapter 4 verse 18 reads, And the priest came up out of the river carrying the ark of the covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place. And ran at flood stage as before. Now the Hebrew word is, is used in connection with Jordan during the time of prophet Elijah's uh, parting of the Jordan in Second Kings chapter two verse eight. Second Kings. Chapter 2, verse 8. 2 Kings, chapter 2, verse 8 reads, Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them cross over on dry land or dry ground here. So the emphasis again is no moisture. Now 
For the remaining two occurrences of the Hebrew word used in our passage is, is used in, I'm going to read it, uh, at least one of them, is used in Ezekiel chapter 30 verse 12 and in Haggai chapter 2 verse 6. Now it is the one in Haggai that I want to read as where it is clearer also that the contrast is between dry land and water. In Haggai chapter 2 verse 8. Haggai chapter 2 verse 8 it reads this is what the Lord Almighty says in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth the sea and the dry land see there is a, a contrast dry land See, there's no moisture in dealing with dry land. Now the usages, this usage is then of our Hebrew word indicates that it is used for an existing land and not a newly created land. It's not that God could not create dry land if he wanted since in the original creation of the earth the dry land came out of water as we know from Genesis chapter 1 verses 9 through 10 Genesis chapter 1 verses 9 through 10 it reads and God said let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear and it was so God called it the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas and God saw it was good so it is not like God could not create dry land from the sea if you want to but like I said, we don't really know. All we know is the result. Now, by the way, the phrase of verse 9 here in, in, in Genesis, dry ground, is, is translated really from a different Hebrew word that was, used, that was first used in creation narrative in contrast to the word used in Exodus uh, chapter 14 verse 21 that was used for the first time in connection with the Flood uh, narrative incident. So anyway, the point is that God did not create new dry land. They removed water so that the bed of the sea was exposed in such a way that it was without water to allow the Israelites to move through on dry land. Again, what I'm emphasizing is we just don't know what, where the actual location if it was a place where the sea was so deep that they crossed, then God, the part of that miracle would be the raising of the seabed to the level where Israel could go through on a smooth way. Because like I said, if it was down, that means they all have to go down and it would be awkward. So, wherever it is, if God did not create a new, a new land, all he did is he used the seabed that was already there whether they know where this happened, because we don't know the exact location where they crossed, how deep the Red Sea was at that point. Anyway, so the point is that God did not create new dry land, but simply removed water from the bed so that the sea, the land, the bed was exposed with no moisture in it, so that Israel could go through. Now to ensure that we do not misinterpret the first clause of Exodus 14.21 when it says and he made the sea become dry ground. That literally reads and he made the sea become dry ground. Now the Holy Spirit through the human author provides an explanation that helps us to make sense of the clause that we are considering. Now the explanation is given in the last clause 
of Exodus 14 verse 21 that reads, The waters were divided. Now logically, this clause should precede the last clause. If it is read without the interpretation that we have given. In effect, we are saying that it makes logical sense for waters to be divided before dry land could be noticed. Now, following the NIV and many of our English versions that translated the Hebrew like the NIV, we have the event of the second clause coming after the previous uh, clause of saying the land. Now, well, however, really the Hebrew simply says, and the waters were divided. Now, the word and is one that we said is usually translated and in our English version. But here, it, may, it has uh, other usages, such as, it could mean something like, uh, that is, as an explanation, or it could also mean, hey, uh, something like, because, in, as a way to give an explanation, uh, a result of something. So the question is to determine the sense in which it is used in our passage. Now some English versions, uh, such as the New American Standard Bible, translated a particle with the word so, so. Now we cannot be sure of what the translators meant by the use of the word so. Do the translators mean in the way described? Now this may imply that the clause provides an explanation of what preceded or they, do they mean and for this reason the implication will be that the clause provides a result from, of, from what preceded it. So the usage that indicates sequence though sometimes because some translate then uh, to me it doesn't make sense logically. For this reason I believe that the Hebrew particle is used here as a marker of reason that explains the appearance of the dry land. That is, that the dry land appeared because the water was divided. Or, it is used then as a marker of explanation of the preceding clause that says, and he made the sea uh, become dry grounds. So he made the sea, and this is what it means. So in effect, though the Holy Spirit intended for us to understand the clause, the waters were divided as an explanation of the preceding clause, and he made the sea become dry ground. Consequently, it seems to me that both interpretations make sense in the context. In other words, the Holy Spirit says to us that we should understand the first clause of the you know, land, dry land appearing in the sense that what happened when the waters were divided is the appearance of the dry land. So it makes sense then that the appearance of the dry land came because the water were divided. So we can say the dry land appeared because the water was divided. Or, as an explanation, this is what it all means. Well, there is really more to uh, explain in this passage, or this a particular result that we are looking at. Nonetheless, uh, we, we should remember the third proposition that we are focusing, which is, God will act towards your problem in a way to make clear to you the way forward out of your problem. That is the top proposition that we are uh, dealing with that comes out of these last uh, two clauses, but with, there's still more to be explained in it. However, we're out of time, and so we'll continue with the thought again that you should go home, remembering that God will act in such a way to make you know that this is the way forward out of your problem. Whatever the problem is, you only know. He only knows too. So whatever it is, we are saying based on what we are studying, God will do something 
in a way and when he does it he is going to make it clear to you but the problem is whether you are going to be patient pray, wait and apply what you know from the scripture and let him guide you and make it clearer most of our problem as believers is that we are too impatient and so we want to rush to the problem and not get a clear assurance from the Lord this is the way I want you to go but if you are patient He's going to make it clear to you. That is the message that we want to emphasize this evening. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the study of your word. We pray that God, the Holy Spirit, will cause us to know that because you are such a wise and caring God, that you have a way of making clear to us the way forward out of our problems. So make it clear so that we can be those who will be patient until we know clearly the way you are leading us. This is a request in Christ's name.